Amen. Hey, grab a seat, and as you do, uh, get a copy of the Bible to 1 John chapter 5, and if you need one under a seat nearby you, you'll find one. And uh, that's the last time I'll say that for a little bit. This is our last series, our last sermon in the series of 1 John. If you have a series guide, you're like, no, 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 there's one more week. Next week's the last week. Sorry, I combined them. So this is the last week. I thought um, those two weeks needed to be preached in one sermon rather than two. And I'll just tell you, I don't tell you this often enough. Um, I am so grateful for this congregation and how week in and week out you all show up ready to feast on the Word of God. Um, I'll often run into um, ministry experts who say never preach a series longer than six to eight weeks, and we embark on week 19 of 1 John, and I say, whatever, <laughs> because you all are people who come uh, ready to open God's Word and ready to feast on it, and preaching to this congregation is the greatest ministry privilege that there can be, so thank you for week in and week out uh, being here and ready to um, devour another meal from the Lord out of His Word. God doesn't want us as His children walking around in wonderland. I, I, wonder, I wonder if I'm really saved. I, I wonder if I really am a child of God. I wonder if I really will ever uh, have power over this sin. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. God does not want His children wandering around in wonderland, always wondering, have, have I done enough? Am I really saved? And this is the gift of this book to us. This is the gift of this study that we have been in. John, the writer of this, he wrote a gospel, and he's written these letters. And uh, in his gospel, any guesses as to what gospel John wrote? Okay, good. John, thank you. He tells us why he wrote the gospel. He says, I write these things to you so you'll believe. That's why he wrote his gospel, that we would believe, that unbelievers would believe in Jesus. And now as we come to the end of this letter, uh, verse 13 serves as a fantastic thesis statement for this whole letter that John has written. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may, that you may know that you have eternal life. My hope and my prayer is that after 19 weeks of investing in the study of this book, that we as people who've believed in Jesus Christ would walk out of this place today knowing that we know that we know some things. That we know deep down in the, the bedrock of our heart that yes, it is doctrinal knowledge, but that doctrinal knowledge has gripped our heart in such a way that we can be people who can walk through this life resting assured in the fact that this awesome Savior has wooed us and has won us and is holding us and will accomplish it in the end. We got to know that we know that. We got to know some things. And in a, in a world that we live in that doesn't like to make absolute statements about being able to know anything. John is going to just take a hammer to that, that aspect of our culture and he's going to end this letter by just saying, we know, we know, we know, we know, we know over and over and over again. That's why I couldn't break this into two weeks. 
we need to hear all of the we knows that this letter ends with. And so what we're going to find today are what I'm calling five assurances, five restful assurances for those who have believed in Jesus Christ. And this picture kept coming to mind this week as I was studying, and it was a picture of a massive boulder in the midst of a rushing water. And, 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 and what I kept thinking about this week is, is we're going to gather here as the church, and we're going to hear this teaching, but we're going to walk back out of here, and we live in a culture that has a current to it, that, that we're going to declare some things from the Word of God that we can know for sure, don't have to be unsure about, don't have to question, and we're going to walk back into a culture and a world that's going to tell us, no, you should question that. You should be unsure about that. You shouldn't be so dogmatic about that. And it's this picture of this rushing current. But what I love about this is that massive boulder right in the middle of it that's unmoved. That thing is at rest. It's not affected at all by the rushing current around it. I'm praying for us that we would be believers and dwelt by the Spirit of God who can remain at a place of heart and soul rest in the midst of a current flowing against us. And so there's some things in this, as this letter closes that we need to know. And the whole summary of this sermon can boil down into this statement right here. Believer, because you know Jesus, rest assured. And we're going to look at five of these that John's going to end this letter with. How many of you loved a good review session before a test when you were a student, right? Professor or teacher, just tell me what I need to know when I come in and take the exam tomorrow. John, John loves us so much. As this letter ends, he's like, here's what you need to be walking away with out of this letter. And we're going to ask, the God, we're going to ask God to drive that deeply into our heart right now. So pray with me, and let's ask God to do that. Father, would you do that? Lord, would we not walk out of here wondering about anything you don't want us to wonder about? Would we not walk out of here unsure about the things you want us to be sure about? Would we not walk out of here uh, questioning and waffling about things you have declared are true once and for all for the believer? So God, we pray for a powerful move of your spirit as your word is proclaimed aloud. We believe that your word is not like our words. It has supernatural power. So God, would you accomplish that which you set out to accomplish as your word goes forth now in Jesus' name, amen. First, because I believe in Jesus, I can know first restful assurance we need to walk out of this book with is this. I have eternal life. Because I believe in Jesus, I can know I have eternal life. Let me read verse 13 to us again. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. The Christian does not need to walk around with the years that God gives on this earth wondering what happens the day they die. 
The Christian does not need to always be fretting and stressed, going, and, 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 have I done enough? It, it, this is not some religious system in which we're constantly trying to live in such a way to appease a grumpy God. That's not what Christianity is. The beauty of Christianity is an invitation into relationship with God the Son, second person of the Trinity, who has pursued us in love, who has pursued us in our wandering, who has pursued us in, in, in the fact that we are orphans in sin, and he has wooed us, and he has pulled us in, and we have believed, and he's holding us secure. That, when it takes root in our heart, allows the believer to live at peace, even with the reality of a coming day when we will no longer walk on this earth. Just yesterday, I'm sitting at a funeral. Every funeral is a reminder that day is coming. And yet the believer doesn't have to waffle in this, doesn't have to live frantically in this, can have a heart at rest in the midst of it. The closest people thus far in my life who the Lord has called home have been the three living grandparents that were alive when I was born. And in the last few years, I've watched each of them uh, be called to the Lord, uh, and I've watched each of them uh, walk through that season with joy. How it instructs a 30-year-old grandson to walk into a 90-year-old grandmother's house and just say, I just, just hear her say, I just want to go home. And to say it with a smile on her face. To say it actually meaning it. To say, and I, some days, I just don't know, God, why am I still here? I want to go be with you. The assurance of that. This is what allows the believer to walk through the unwelcome diagnosis with, with peace. And, and don't hear me. I'm not saying that fear never comes up in the midst of a season of an un unwelcome diagnosis. But as the fear rises up, the Savior stomps it out. And as the fear rises up, the Savior stomps it out. This is what allows us as the uh, inevitable reality of aging takes place and we are confronted daily with the fact that we are nearer to the day we won't walk on this earth than we were one day before and it's what allows a believer to walk in peace in this why because their eternity is resting in the hands of jesus and he's holding us we gotta know this the believer doesn't have to live wondering what's going to happen on that day for me. The believer doesn't sit at a funeral and go, I'm so terrified of that day. The believer can enjoy the years God has given them here, resting assured that when he calls us home, he's calling us home. We got to know that. We got to know that. But the question at times is, okay, God tells me that when I die, if I've believed in Jesus, I have eternal life. I will be with him. He's willing to do that for me. 
But at times I talk with people who believe he's doing that begrudgingly. Fine, Brock, I'll let you in. What is the reality? How does God invite us into a relationship with him? What are the characteristics of the relationship with God? What do the coming verses tell us about how God views his interaction with us? Look at 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, don't miss these last three words. If we ask anything according to his will, he what? He hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. We need to know this. Because I believe in Jesus, I can know, secondly, this. He hears my requests and delights in answering. What does this tell us about God's relationship with us, that we have a heavenly Father who delights in communing with us, who delights in communicating with us, who delights in hearing the requests that you bring, and delights in answering those that are in accordance to His will. Earlier this year, I preached in Denver. I finished the last service. We had to get right to the airport. We hopped in the rental car. We got to the airport. We grabbed a too far overpriced lunch at the airport, and then we, I jumped in line for the essential for a flight, Starbucks, and I was waiting in the Starbucks line when I watched an interaction, I actually eavesdropped on an interaction happening in front of me, and I pieced together what was going on. There was about a 10-year-old son um, talking to his father, and I pieced together that the 10-year-old son had just spent probably about a week at grandma and grandpa's house and was just flying back in and mom and dad were there to pick him up. And I watched this interaction between a dad who had been missing his son all week and the son who was so excited to see his dad. And it was unlike the typical interaction we now see in our day. The typical interaction we now see in our day is 10-year-old excited son wants to tell all about grandma and grandpa's house. And uh, oh yeah, bud, that's awesome. I bet that was so fun. Oh, yeah, we did that when I was a kid, too. Am I right? This 10-year-old son is recounting everything. Like, he's just, wow. And the dad is right there. Are you serious? No way, but we did that, too, when I was a kid. Did you go over here, and did you do this? He's right there, eyeball to eyeball, hanging on every word that his son was speaking. And we ordered, and we're off to the side where you wait for your drinks, and I grabbed the guy's arm, the dad, not the son. I grabbed his arm, <laughs> and I said, I'm flying back to four little kids right now. They're way younger than your son is, but thank you for modeling for me how a father should find joy in listening to their son pour their heart out. And I read these, I read these wor- verses, and I go, the God of the universe will hear me and will answer the requests I bring that are according to his will? That, that God is not up there like, yeah, Brock, that's cool. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. See the Ohio State score last night? But instead it's here. 
Yes, I hear. Yes, I hear, Brock. Yes, I'll delight in answering that. That's in accordance to my will. We have to know that about our Father. If we walk out of a series like this believing God is this and not this, that dramatically impacts how we go about relating to Him. Someone give me an amen. He hears. He delights in answering. He communicates. you got to know that. And now, verse 16 and 17 come. When we began this series, we read through the whole book all at once. And I'm going to be honest with you. When we read aloud verses 16 and 17 of chapter 5, I went, oh boy, I'm going to have to teach that. Because I had no idea what it meant. And as I stand up here today, I have a little bit better idea of what it means. (laughs) Be encouraged. Um, (laughs) I do want you to know this. Verses 16 and 17 are not like John's going, oh, I forgot to mention this in the letter. Now let me quick scribble this down. They're very intentionally and purposefully placed. John has just told us, whatever you ask, he hears, and those things in accordance with his will, he answers. Now he's going to give us an example of asking. That's how it connects with what comes above it. A little spoiler alert, point three of the sermon, we're not 2.3, but point three of the sermon is going to be this. Because I know Jesus, I have power over sin because he's protecting me. This example he's going to give is in relation to how does a believer versus an unbeliever interact with sin. I want you to see this is intentional. And yet as we read these verses, we're going to need to like figure out a bit and try to interpret what does John mean here. And if we had on stage right now 10 different pastors, theologians, scholars all of whom we we listen to their podcasts, we read their books, they have sound theology. All 10 of them, as I have read and studied and listened this week, would all have some different nuances of how they interpret these verses. Hear me. This has one meaning. It means what God intended it to mean. And I believe John's first hearers would have understood well what it meant. We, from 2,000 years later, have to work hard to interpret what is John saying here. And so when you come to a difficult-to-understand passage in the Bible, what do we need to do? We need to let the rest of Scripture help us understand what it means, and we need to cast ourselves on the Holy Spirit and say, please help us understand this. So, with that introduction... Verses 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Clear? Um, I'm gonna, I'm, what I'm going to do right now is just try to explain what I think these uh, verses are saying. But I do so humbly 
recognizing that like you may disagree with some of the interpretation I bring here and we could go to lunch after this and by the end of the lunch you could convince me that no I actually think this okay so I do so humbly um, let's try to understand these verses very quickly with just a series of questions who's John talking about who is John talking about when he says um, if anyone sees his what's the word he uses brother uh, some of your translations may even say fellow Christian If anyone sees their brother or fellow Christian committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. Now, I believe John is either talking about a professing believer who may not actually know Jesus, but has been part of the community as a professing believer, or he's talking about a genuine believer. I say that there's a chance he could be talking about a professing believer who doesn't actually know Jesus because he says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him what? God will give him life. Well, part of me asks the question, if he was a genuine believer, doesn't he already have life in Christ? So I'll just submit to us for your own study, I think this is either a genuine believer and what John is saying, if you see a genuine believer in the act of sin, pray for them. God will give them life, and John would agree that life had already come the moment that they trusted Christ. Or I believe John could be talking about a professing believer, a member of the, uh, someone who looks like a member of the faith community, but has never actually come to know Jesus, is living in sin, and John's saying, no, pray for life, that, that their sin, they will see their sin, and they would turn and receive life in Jesus Christ. I think it's one of those. Okay, next question. What's the sin that leads to death? If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. Uh, some people have read that and gone, that's like, uh, that's like the sin Ananias and Sapphira committed. When they said that they brought all of the money from the sale of the fields in the book of Acts and They were lying to the Holy Spirit, and the Lord took their life from them right then. Others say, no, 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 this is apostasy. This is a reference to the false teachers who were part of the original community and then rejected the true teaching about Jesus and left the true Jesus community and now are teaching false things about Jesus. I think that's a fairly strong argument. Other people say, no, this is more general in nature. This is, a, this is an overall rejection of the lordship of Christ and living in um, conscious unrepentance, stiff-arming the lordship of Christ in their life. Now, that one is the safe play for me because we know the rest of Scripture would teach us that sin leading to death is sin that's not covered by the blood of Christ. That... that, that People who have not believed in Jesus, who have stiff-armed the Lordship of Christ, who are living in unrepentance, they're not covered in the righteousness of Christ, and their sin will lead to eternal separation from God. That's the safe one. I can be convinced on the apostasy argument. I don't necessarily think it's the Ananias and Sapphira thing. Third question. We shouldn't pray for these people? This is a toughie. 
If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. Uh, I think John Piper's work on this is the most helpful. I can send it to you. Email me. I've, this week, I put a whole document together. If you want to listen to like a couple hours worth of stuff on these two verses and read like a lot of pages on it, email me. I'll be happy to send it. I think it's important to acknowledge that the wording here does not, is not prohibiting the prayer for someone like this. John is certainly not encouraging it, but I think one of the things he's saying here, like, here's what I'm talking about right now, and here's what I'm not talking about right now. Like, I'm not talking about the sin that leads to death. I'm talking about this. Pray for someone that you see in the act of sin that God would grant them life. And then verse 17 leads to a question. And the question is this, doesn't all sin lead to death? Verse 17, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. But aren't the wages of sin death? Like doesn't, I mean, you know, any sin, transgression against a holy God, isn't that deserving of death? Yes, it is. Uh, John's not contradicting Paul here. When Paul writes that the wages of sin is death, John's not contradicting this. I believe instead what John is saying here is he talks about seeking to see maybe a believer who's in the midst of sin come out of that sin. That believer has been covered by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and is covered in the righteousness of Christ. So a believer can still sin And that sin not lead to death because of the covering of the righteousness of Christ on their behalf. If you get through all of this in the last five minutes, and I have not satisfactorily tied all the knots of 2,000 years worth of um, discussion on this, you're probably right. And I would encourage you, these are a couple verses that you'll find great joy in studying out for yourself, and we're here to help you with this. Now, Don't get lost with those verses in the overall flow of what John is doing, though. John is ending this letter by saying, you need to know this, you need to know this, you need to know this. He said, you need to know that you have eternal life. You need to know that the requests you bring before God, he hears. Let me give you an example of that. And it's an example that has to do with sin. Now he's going to get to what the believer needs to know about their relationship with sin once they know Christ. Verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. Everyone look at me. Before I finish this verse, I just want to stop and tell you, this is such a crucial verse for us. And here's why this is a crucial verse. I never pretend to be like the most seasoned pastor you all have probably ever sat under. But in 10 years of full-time ministry... The amount of times I have heard a believer say, I'm in bondage to sin. I lovingly look at you today and say, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are not in bondage. You're not in bondage. That sin is not more powerful than your Savior. How can you say that, Brock? It feels like I'm in bondage. We know that everyone who has been born of God, legitimate believers, does not keep on sinning. 
But he who was born of God protects him. Christ protects the believer. And the evil one does not touch him. All Scripture will teach us that the Christian will war with the flesh. The flesh will rear its ugly head. We at times will succumb to the temptation and will sin. But throughout the teaching of this book, one of the recurring themes has been someone who truly knows Jesus does not live in a pattern of consistent sin like they did before they knew Jesus. Jesus Christ has stepped in to the prison cell of the bondage of our sin and he's ripped the gates out of the wall. And he has snapped the handcuffs and he's shattered the shackles and he has said, be free. And you're like, but why am I still in the prison cell? Because you like it. You're like, I'm, I'm in prison to this sin. And everyone's going, but the gate's open and you're not cuffed and the shackles are broke. So often at times during counseling, I say this lovingly, I just want to say, just stop. And I realize that doesn't sound helpful, but Christians, listen, that can be very helpful. Just stop. I'm not saying in your own strength. I'm saying cast yourself on the power of the Spirit who's given you everything you need to have victory over that sin. I looked at porn in high school. I didn't know Jesus. I knew church. I knew how. And then my freshman year of college, I legitimately met Jesus. All of a sudden, there was power to not look at porn. The temptation at times was still there, but there was power to not do it. And the freeing nature of that, you believer, genuine believer in the room, Jesus Christ has given you power to step out of the bondage of sin. Hear it. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Come on, y'all. That's what's true. And hear me now. I recognize in the room are believers who love Jesus. Who are in the midst of some deeply tangled and complicated webs of sin. And when you hear me from the front, just shout, just stop. You're like, I wish it was that easy. Will you let us help you? Will you let our soul care team walk with you? Will you let our pastors walk with you? Will, will you let our elders walk with you to just arm and arm say, do you want to see the power that comes over it? Let me show you what this passage says about the power that you have over it. That is why we are here. But we need to see there is power 
over sin because we know him. You are not a slave to the sin. You are now a slave to Christ. And as a slave to Christ, which is a compliment in Scripture because it connotes our sonship, the fact that we are a daughter. Look at what verse 19 says. We know that we are from God. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. John has just made a distinction. The believer needs to know that they are from God. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one, but the believer needs to know they are from God. The believer needs to know that their sonship is in Christ. The the believer needs to know that they are a daughter of Christ. The believer needs to know their lineage and their heritage is secure. The believer needs to know of their secure place as one who's been adopted out of being an orphan to sin and has been made a child. That allows our hearts to rest secure. Two months ago, we moved out of our, the house we were living in, and uh, the week we were moving, our oldest son was going to go stay for a couple of days at my parents' house in Michigan. And so um, Erica and I were talking, and we're like, man, we should probably talk to him and let him know that when he comes back to town, he's not coming back home here, that we're going to be staying somewhere else. And so just in, like, in an absolute amazing model of awesome parenting, we put all the other kids to bed, and we sat on his bed, and we're like, buddy, listen, like, you're going to go to Grandma and Grandpa's, and when you get back, like, we're going we're, we're gonna to have to be moved out of this house. Like, this is the last night you're going to sleep, like, in this room. And isn't that exciting? And, and so I, think the, I thought the conversation went great. <laughs> and uh, the next day, I got him in the back seat of my car, and I'm driving to Fort Wayne to meet my parents to pick him up, and... Um, all of a sudden, we're north on I-69, and from the back seat, this phrase comes out. It's just kind of sad that I won't be living with you guys anymore. <laughs> and I'm trying to drive 70 miles an hour down the interstate and look back there like, buddy, what? What are you, what are you saying? You, you told me last night, that's the last night with you guys, I'm, I'm never coming back. And I'm trying to drive, and I'm looking back, trying to make eye contact, and I'm like, buddy, you will always live with us. Like, where we go, you're going, you're our son, we love you. And, and when, when it finally sunk into the four-year-old's brain that he was coming back to mom and dad. Tears welled up in his eyes. He doesn't do emotion. So I'm like, buddy, what are you feeling right now? He's like, there's a green semi truck. <laughs> and he just stared out the window and the tears in my four-year-old's eyes welling up was just this like for eight, you know, for 18 hours, this is what's been going around in his brain. And how we all need to know that our Heavenly Father isn't one who's just looking to ship us off. 
but the security that comes from knowing like we are his, we are from him, and that's not going to change. And then last, because I believe in Jesus, I can know this. I can know that I know the true Christ. Verse 19, uh, verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. One of the other themes throughout this book has been that we would believe in the true Jesus. We said it last week. The tabloids will come out with the story every Easter. Who is Jesus really? You can walk the aisles at a bookstore and find all kinds of books on the historical Jesus. But I'm here to tell us today what I told us last week. The historical Jesus is the Jesus of the Bible. And you know my story. I spent my undergrad as a religion major wrestling this question out and came to the place where I went, Jesus is who the Bible says he is. And you can know this. With every, with every documentary you watch that might be questioning it, with every book you pick up that might be questioning it, with every uh, uh, article that some magazine comes out with that might be questioning it, you can know once and for all, you know the true Jesus. He is who the Bible says he is, and it can stand up under the most intense scholarly scrutiny that they can put against it. He is who he says he is. And if you've believed in him, you know him. You know him who is true and you are in him who is true. This, these are the assurances offered to us who've believed in Jesus. God says, don't, wa- don't wander around through this life in wonderland. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, do I have power over sin? Am I really saved? Am I, am I, am I? This is the goodness of our God to allow our hearts to rest assured as we follow him. And if our God is this good, you get to the very last line of this book and John just ends it like this. You think he's going to write this line and then you expect him to go into a whole nother chapter about this line here. But here's how he ends the book. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And with his last line, he's just like, and in light of that, don't follow fake gods. Like in light of that assurance, why would we follow a fake God? Why would we bow the knee to an idol who can offer us none of the assurances of that? out of here after 19 weeks of studying this book wondering one more day 
whether you're saved if you have truly believed in Jesus Christ. Wondering one more day, will I ever have power over the sin if you have truly believed in Jesus Christ? Wondering one more day, am I really a son or a daughter of 